Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph begins a message entitled, Love Means, Lego Your Ego. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. And the series is a kind of a series within a series. We've been working our way through Ephesians. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, relationships, man-woman relationships, family relationships, as we uh, just kind of continue our way through Ephesians. And so the next four weeks of teaching, we're calling it Love Actually, which is actually the name of a movie that you probably ought not to go out and rent. But the uh, question is, how's your love life? And and today's message is called Love Means Let Go of Your Ego. And I want to just take a moment and, and talk. And I need you to do a favor for me. I need everyone to stand. I want you to turn around and take a couple minutes and talk to each other. Here's the question. What is the difference between love and infatuation? What is the difference between love and infatuation? I want to hear some feedback. You don't need to ne necessarily give me your brilliant answer. What did the person next to you say that was worth the rest of us hearing? Shout it out. What did, what did you hear? Kind of raise your hand you know, so we can do this not all at once. What did you hear? Love endures. Love endures. Okay. Infatuation is hormones. Infatuation is hormones. <laughs> On Friday night, one woman said, infatuation is lust. And I asked her, you know a lot about that, huh? <laughs> Somebody else. Love requires sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. Love is knowing. Lo infatuation is seeing and not knowing. Okay. Love is knowing. Infatuation is seeing. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else. Love is consideration. Love is commitment. Love is commitment. It's good. Love is a choice. Oh, love is a choice you make every day. Yes. Love is compromise. Love requires compromise, huh? Oftentimes, lots of it. Uh, somebody else, Fred. Huh? Love is surrender. That's good. That feeds right into the words in the message. Love is through the good and the bad, you know, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, and sickness and health, all that stuff. Infatuation can be the beginning of love. And let's just talk about that for a second. Infatuation was invented by God. Lust was invented by God. You know that? We look at these things and sometimes as, you know, you, you hear people that are, that are Christians and they turn into little meanies, you know, and eh, that's a bad thing and don't you have infatuation, you need to have love. Well, you know what? A, a, a really good marriage kind of would work on three levels, I think. There's first a level of, of bedrock foundation, and that's a relationship with God. And we're going to talk about that today, how the relationship with God changes everything in, in terms of, of love and what love actually is. And then there would be a real firm level of what you guys all described as love, commitment, endurance, perseverance, compromise, surrender, sacrifice, all of that. And then on the top of it, there'd be a layer of infatuation. You know, I'm infatuated with my wife. That's a good thing. You're supposed to be. 
Infatuation is not bad. And infatuation, in fact, tends to lead us to love. You know, somebody said, infatuation is something that happens with your eyes. Well, yeah, you know, you're, you're attracted to somebody. And, and the idea would be that we would stay that way always. And so we want to have all of this at work in our life all the time. It's really not an either or kind of a situation. If you have infatuation alone, you probably won't endure. If all you have is, because infatuation tends to be what you do for me. You turn me on, I look at you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Love has to do with something that's deeper. I talked to a man last night after the message, and he said, infatuation is, is always with us as men. And he said, he, he kind of coached me, he used to be a pastor, and, and this is very wise advice. This guy's a building contractor, and he says, the reason that we men get into so many toys is that we have this need for infatuation. And he goes, it's actually satisfied the most in, the, in our worship relationship with the Lord. And he goes, we find the Lord and we cut out stuff in our life that we used to be infatuated with because infatuation can go beyond women into to motorcycles and fast cars and to boats and to surfing and to whatever. And so we, we begin to satisfy. We've come to the Lord and now we're not doing drugs or not doing, not, not doing alcohol. We're not chasing women anymore. And we've got this hole in our heart that really can be satisfied best by God. We, for a little while, are satisfied through our wife. And then we start moving on to, to collecting tools at Sears and uh, you know, buying new fishing equipment and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, people say that they're in love with love. The whole idea is, is that there's this constant something. I want something new. I want something fresh that's really going to get satisfied in your relationship with the Lord. But it's something that God built into you. And I think it's going to get satisfied in your relationship with your wife. But if that's all you've got in a relationship, then when the rocky road comes... Uh, you're, you're probably going to be the house that's built on sand and, and, and crashes like, much like that coconut tree outside here did today. But if you've, got, if you've got love and your love roots down into the Lord, then you've got something that's going to endure the difficult times, the time of financial hardship, the time when you know, some tragedy happens in your life and you want to blame somebody or all that. Uh, love has a way of enduring beyond that. And so today we're talking about just one very short verse of Scripture, although that doesn't mean you're going to get out of here early. <laughs> verse 21 says this simply. This is the whole text, really. And further, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The key to having a relationship that endures, the key to having love actually, is learning to submit to one another. Now, what does the word submit mean? Well, somebody said surrender a little while ago. Yes, it does. It means that. It doesn't mean that you become a doormat for somebody else to walk on. It doesn't mean that you allow somebody to abuse you. It means that there's a, a respectful yielding of your rights to the other person's needs. Can I say that again? There's a respectful, I respect you and you respect me yielding of my rights to my wife's needs. There's a respectful on her part, mutual respect, yielding of her rights to my needs. The Bible says in another place that our bodies belong to each other in a marriage. And you know what it's talking about? Sex. And so meet the other person's needs is what the Bible's saying in that other passage. But the idea of mutual submission it comes down to this. I value the relationship, the institution, the whatever you want to call it, that's our family 
more than I value my rights. In some ways, I value our family more than I value you as my mate. I'm willing to surrender everything to keep that family working together. But I'm willing to do what Philippians chapter 2 says, what we read last week, that Jesus came into this world and laid his life down for us and that we should have the same attitude and we should each view the other person as more important than ourselves. To submit to somebody means to yield to their needs, to think of them as the senior member of the partnership. And if both of you are doing it, then the thing cannot help but work. Does that make sense? Now, it goes on and it says, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean by reverence for Christ? You'll submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, it means that Jesus is the Lord of your life. That he's not just your savior. He's not just somebody who rescued you or does nice things for you. But he's somebody that you view as God. He's the master. The word Lord kurios in Greek means the master. Somebody who, that I'm, I'm in a position that I need to obey this person and whatever it is that he asks me to do. Now, here's some things that the Bible says about marriage, you know, while we're trying to figure out. Because look around you, you know, there's some people here that their marriages have worked. There's some people here with some, some gray hair. Isaac, wave at me. Come on, wave at me. Isaac and Lala, hey, wave at me. How long have you guys been married? 48 years. You think it's going to last? <laughs> Uncle Holly, how long have you guys been together? Enough. Enough? Oh, you dog. How long? Huh? 50 years. 50 years. Good-looking woman, woman like that stayed with you for 50 years? <laughs> hey, look at One of the questions that we got to be asking is, is this real? Does this work? And there's evidence all around you of the reality of it. You know, you look around and there are people whose lives have been transformed and their marriage came out of the cesspool into the light and God blessed them as a, as a result of their commitment to Jesus as the Lord of their life. Now, as you, as you look at this scripture, either the Lord is the Lord and you revere him, or he's something else to you and you don't revere him. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You know, when I was a, a, a young kid, I learned very quickly to fear my father because he knew how to bring discipline into my life. Well, he's 84 years old. I still fear him. You know, I have this a certain awe and respect and whatever for my dad and for what he says that I learned when I was young. And it stood me in, in good shape all the way through my life because my dad was often right. As I, as I learned to fear the Lord and I surrender to the Lord, things work well in my life. In fact, you could read this passage like this. And further, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I mean, it's kind of got a hard edge to it, if you, if you just look at it. The, the Lord is saying it's kind of one way or another. Either you do this, or you don't do this. Either Jesus is the Lord, or he's not the Lord. I want you to think in these terms. The Bible says, husbands, that you should treat your wife with love and respect. It says that you should treat her with gentleness and without harsh words. Treating her as the weaker vessel, not putting women down, 
but saying that women have emotional needs that husbands sometimes just don't meet. It tells wives that we should learn to surrender to the leadership of our husband. The scripture says that God hates divorce and that you shouldn't divorce for any other cause than adultery. This is very black and white stuff in the scripture. Now, you can look at it and go, it's rigid, it's rulesy, it's, you know, I don't know if I want to buy into this. Or you can look at it and go, if I allow the Lord to be the Lord of my life, now what happens is I have the God factor going for me. There's that unexpected whatever it is that God's going to bring into my life that's going to make up the deficits in my life. And if I'm willing to surrender my rights to the needs of my spouse or my girlfriend or whatever, as I yield myself to this other person and it costs me something, now I can count on the fact that I'm doing God's thing and God's going to reach down and he's going to put his hand of blessing upon me and upon my life and upon our relationship. And he's going to take up the slack where there might be slack, there might be need, there might be differential in my life. He's going to come and he's going to be there for me and, and do the thing that I need done that we would call a miracle. Am I making sense? So it's, it's either one way or another. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. This whole idea of lordship is the exact opposite of sin. The Bible describes sin in Isaiah 53 as there's God. He's like the shepherd. We're like the sheep. We wander off and do our own thing. Reverencing the Lord is doing his thing. So if I'm not reverencing the Lord in any area of my life, I'm actually living in sin. Now, let me just take a, a time. I want to do another little interaction thing here this morning. I've noticed this. As I, I begin to pastor, uh, way back in 1971 it was, uh, the first 10 years or so that I pastored throughout the 70s, very often we were seeing people who lived real broken lives. They were maybe divorced in their life and things were really a wreck. Uh, hatred toward each other, and they would come to know the Lord and then would make a decision, we're going to, in the name of God, get back together and give this thing another shot. And I had one friend, they'd been divorced for eight years. They showed up in church independent of each other, not knowing the other person was there. He brought his girlfriend, she brought her boyfriend, who was a player on the LA Rams at the time, and they showed up on a Sunday night in our church. We were trying to figure out how to do mini church. We'd run a real short service in church and then bust up to homes afterwards. And they ended up going out and they ended up in the same home. He accepted the Lord that night. She had already accepted the Lord. And that night, he makes this decision. I'm going to ask her to marry me again after being divorced for eight years. I have a girlfriend. She has a boyfriend. He and his girlfriend came to tell me that on Tuesday morning. I was in shock. They came with tears in their eyes. We're going to break up because we believe it's God's will for him to get back with his wife. And they went ahead and made that decision. Uh, the dum-dum stood up at his wedding and said, I still don't love her. I'm just doing this to obey God. I wanted to just smack him right now. Kiss her. Uh, he ended up getting cancer. They said he had only months to live. This is right after they got married. The Lord did a spectacular thing. The, the doctors had virtually given up hope. They put him on some testing meds program. Uh, he decided he didn't want to do it. Either God's going to heal me or, or I'm just going to die. But I'm not going to die feeling like I got the flu. For some reason, for about five years, he, his, his condition never changed. He never got any worse, never got any better. And then one day, he, when he, he was at UCLA, going in and out of the hospital for checkups. And they said, it's gone. We don't know why it's gone. It's just gone. This is God. I, I did about 15 of those kind of weddings during that first 10 years. The second 10 years that I was a pastor, we suffered divorces. 
We started seeing husbands abandoning their families just for seemingly no reason at all. You know, I found some young chick and we, we, and we suffered. And, and it was like, you know, the Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence. And it was like that. In the decade of the 90s, it flipped the other way. And it was wives that were leaving their husbands. And often the scenario was that the guy is just a bad actor. He's just hard to be around. And finally the wife says, enough already. And she's out of there. And no matter what you do, it just becomes impossible to change her mind. It's been tough. So I want to leave you with this question. Here's, a, here's the question. There's a man. He's, he's brusque. He's hard. He's very opinionated. And he's picky about everything. He's very, very, very hard to live with. He pays little attention to his wife, doesn't listen to the things that she says, and is just tough on her and the whole family. Then the wife, at some point, says, I've had it. I'm up to my eyeballs in this. I can't take it anymore. And she leaves. In the, the, the course of her leaving, the guy breaks. And he really breaks. He repents. He submits to the Lord. God begins to transform his life so much that the people that he works around in the workplace are asking him, what is going on with you? And everything that the wife would have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed would happen has now happened to him. But the wife has put up this armor plate around her and she doesn't want anything to do with him and she she leaves him, she leaves her friends, she leaves the church, she goes someplace else, she finds, tries to find solace someplace else, she won't hear of it at all. Now here's the question. I want you to turn to each other. Who's the wrongest? They're both wrong. They're both wrong. Both have lived their life without acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Folks, I believe this. I believe that you can have a marriage that endures without the Lord, because certainly people do. It's far easier to have a marriage that endures if you allow the Lord to be the Lord of your life, and you're willing to, on the basis of your relationship with Him, give in to the other person. That's what it comes down to. There are times that my wife is difficult to live with, let me tell you. But I love Jesus much more than I love her. And out of reverence to the Lord, I'm willing to stay in there. Now, there are far more times that I'm a pain to live with. And this good, godly woman is willing to stay in there because of her love for the Lord. Does this make sense? It, it really comes down to the, the Lordship of Christ. You know, as, as, I, as I look at this, I, you know, I, I can think of, of different circumstances. My, my wife and I, Friday night, you know, kind of catching up on the end of the year, uh, she spent the whole week going back through our financial records for the year. We tithe. We give 10% of our income to the Lord through this church. And, and we tithe off of every paycheck, and we always do it. And, uh, but I also have written several books, and, and, and sometimes I am able to sell those books. I get them wholesale from the publisher and sell them to people where I travel or whatever. And, and so tallying all this up, it takes a lot of time. And she's tallied it all up, and we figured it all out. And, and it was like our eyes were popping at the, at the size of the tithe check that we felt that we owed the Lord in our church. And so Friday, we brought in the largest tithe check that we've ever brought. 
And I want you to know that it was a joy to think God's blessed us, he's prospered us, I'm able to invest in my church and what my church is doing because it's my church in the sense that I'm a member of it. It's not my church in the sense that I'm an owner. I just happen to work here. But I'm a member of this church. But this issue of, of, of lordship, when I was a little boy, my dad taught me to tithe. And, and I always have had this sense, this very strong understanding that the Lord and I are, are business partners in my finances. And, and that he is what it says up there. He's the provider. And so once you settle the lordship issue, the idea, I mean, it's the idea. The truth is God owns it all. I get to participate in it. It's a, a no-brainer. It's a joy to bring that tithe in and go, man, I wonder what the church can do with this. I want to flip to the other extreme. I've been listening lately to some music. I, when we were in Santa Rosa, California, we stumbled into a, a CD by a, a, a band that was in our church. It wasn't a worship band. It was a performance band that was in our church when we first started in 1971. These were all kids 15 to 18 years old. And they, they kind of, they almost hit it big. They, they, they popped a record with one of the, the biggest uh, Christian record labels. And, and we were all proud of them and what have you. And, and then they went their ways. And and uh, the music went into oblivion. And it turns out that a lady in the church in Santa Rosa, which is a Hope Chapel there, had bought a whole bunch of their albums when it came out to give to her friends for Christmas. And she had three left over, and she kept them for 30 years. And one of the band members showed up. She gave him a brand new copy of the album still in the cellophane. He took it out and had it remastered and turned it into a CD. And so I've been listening to this thing and just, you know, it's kind of down memory lane, one of those deals. The thing that always struck me about these young kids is their pure heart. When I was 25, I became their pastor. So during the years of my ages, 25 to 27, they were doing their music thing. And then they kind of got off into other stuff, maybe a little bit longer than that. They were teaching me something by the way they lived their life. I was learning something about the Lordship of Christ and having a pure heart toward God that I hadn't learned in my life. And I was learning it from people who were still in their teenage years. And it, it blessed me and it transformed me. And listening to the music and listening to the, the lyrics and listening to the youthfulness of their voices, it's like all over again. And I've been just listening to this. It's just washing my soul. It's doing something for me to listen to it. But as I listen to it, I can't help but think of the five. I, I know where all five of them are today. I know that the drummer has, has a ministry in Times Square in New York City and on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, uh, places where kids go when they run away from home. And he's doing street ministry that is just uh, popping. And he's in Dallas. He's in, in places all over the country. It's absolutely a faith ministry. There have been times, you know, we get their newsletter. There's times that they're desperate, but God always comes through. I know that they've come to the point where now they are, they are as a family, they are grandparents. Or their children have grown up walking after the Lord. And God's grace has flowed in their life because of this pure heart and surrender to the Lord. They understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Their family works. I know the second guy, he's a, he's a, a building contractor. And he, 
He lives in Southern California, and he's he's one of these guys that's pretty successful at it. I mean, he's he lives in a nice house. He drives nice cars and pickup trucks and got all the toys in the world that you could imagine, but he's not like ultra rich. But he also is one of these people that's figured out how to align himself with the Lord and realize I have surpluses in my life, and how can I invest those surpluses in ministry? And he's got little ministry projects going on all over Southern California and Northern Mexico. Uh, he's one of those people that God blesses so that he can bless others. You know, uh, we had Bryant Smith in our church last weekend. Bryant came here, moved here from Southern California to do the grading and the work on this project. When everybody else said we couldn't build here, Bryant was saying, yes, you can. The civil engineer said, there's seven things wrong with that property. Any one of them will kill the project. Bryant goes, I helped rebuild Japan after World War II. I know what I'm doing. We can get the job done. And we got the job done. But Bryant is he's running a boys home in Oklahoma. He's running a, a youth camp in Oklahoma. He's got a, a home for men in Southern California. He started a church in Mexico that's multiplied itself a hundred times. There's a hundred churches now. Bryant is 81 years old. He's still doing this. There's a guy sitting in the front row of this church that is running an orphanage in Bangladesh out of his own pocket. There's people like this. They understand the Lordship of Christ. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 